Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. On today's agenda is the federal budget and specifically in this 20 or so minutes we're about to share with you, women's economic security and what was on offer for it. Today joining me is Georgie Dent, our contributing editor on Women's Agenda and the executive director of The Parenthood and also Shivani Gopal who is the CEO of Upstreet and the CEO of The Remarkable Woman. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Shivani and Georgie. It's nice to all get back together again. It's been only about, you know, four months or something. Busy time. Too long. It's so nice to see you both and hear you both. Yes. but here I know. The trio has to get together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But we're here to talk about the budget. And I don't think... Oh, I don't know, I can't talk for you, Shivani, because we haven't really talked about it yet, but Georgie and I have had a few exchanges here and there, and I know, Georgie, you're doing a bit of media about it, but I think overall pretty disappointing if you're looking at the budget in terms of how it can impact women and uh, help aid women's uh, economic security, women's workforce participation, all of that. There really wasn't a huge amount in it for that. In fact, if we put it under that banner alone, $240 million that got put under the banner of women's economic security under that, um, you know, I was surprised to actually see that that got a subheader in Treasurer Josh Frydenberg's speech. Yeah. He got its own little section and he talked that up and he talked about it with passion and what seemed like a lot of sincerity. And then he said the figure. I was like, hang on a second, that's, that's not a huge amount for covering all of that because there is a big agenda within that. that that's not just trying to cover one policy program or one special initiative that's trying to cover everything from women's safety to women's um, entrepreneurship getting more women into stem Um, there was even you know jobs creation was mentioned there and that's a huge agenda there so Giovanni I'll go to you first maybe talk me through did you see anything did you take anything positive away from this budget before going on to what you're reacting when it comes to what was there for women yeah look overall um Angela I can just say a big key here to you um because I certainly had that same reaction but here's what's really interesting right um this is, you know, um, hailed to be the, the most important budget since World War II. Obviously, we have got a huge debt ceiling. There's a lot to be done and a lot of money um, has been spent already. So it's really important that um, the money that is now distributed is done so sensibly, but everything needs to have impact. Everything has to have absolute bang for buck. The outcomes must be there, right? And then let's think about the headlines, right? So, and you asked me a really important question. And that question was, does it really move the dial for women? Um, and I'll tell you what happened to me. I'm sitting there, budget night is like, I don't know, it's takeout and red wine night. Like, it's an important night for me. My husband and I, who's a financial advisor and has got his own platform, we sit there and we have a Google box moment where we're yelling and shouting at the TV and we think this is a two-sided thing, right? Um, and when he first said the women's economic statement, I did this great big woohoo, and I was like really, really happy about it because you know what? The, the, the purpose was tokenism, right? It got a headline for its tokenistic approach. Then I heard the number and then I started speaking to my, you know, my friends, my community, people like yourself, Angela, and I went, hang on, what? 240 million across what? Across what? How many things? Oh, oh, entrepreneurialism. Oh, women in leadership. Oh, women, women's um, workforce participation. I mean, we know that women's workforce participation gets more and more sparse once they pass the age of 35, but the job maker stim around that is nothing. Um, we know that women past the age of 35 are less in work because 
of childcare burdens because of the gender pay gap, but there was nothing about childcare in there. One of the measures they're going to be looking at um, as part of this women's economic statement is the um, boosting entrepreneurship um, component for, for women, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to translate into ten, twenty thousand $20,000 amounts of grants. And again, don't get me wrong, the women who qualify for that, yes, it's still something, but it is nowhere near enough to move the dial. I guess one thing here is that we get this term thrown around a lot and, you know, we all work in this space, we all write about these issues and I still don't really understand what the women's economic statement actually is or what its purpose is or what it's trying to achieve and how is it different from a press release? Can Georgie, what have you found out about it in the past, like, few hours? What, what have you learned? Yeah. Actually, what is it? Yes. Okay. So it is, there is a little bit of confusion um, on the socials um, because there did for a long time, there was a women's budget statement that was handed down on the same night as the budget. It was an official budget document and it was a very thorough, um, rigorous economic analysis looking at how every measure in the budget would impact men and women. And the reason that this existed was because of the fundamental understanding that men and women um, were not at, on the same footing and therefore the same policy would not impact men and women um, in exactly the same manner. Of course, even within genders, obviously there is no standard man and there is no standard woman, but that's what the um, women's budget statement used to do. Um, in 2014, um, you'll be astonished to learn that Tony Abbott and Joe Hockey abolished that document. And it had been in place, I believe, since 1945, but I should check that. So it was a long-standing um, tradition of the budget. 2014, it was taken out. And now a group of women have volunteered their time every year since then to undertake the analysis themselves. And obviously, they don't have the documents in time to prepare that for budget night. So we haven't yet got the full gendered analysis of the budget. The Women's Economic Security Statement is a very different beast. Now, that was um, first introduced by Kelly O'Dwyer when she was the Minister for Women. Mm. Kelly O'Dwyer was, in my view, mm -hmm. um, probably in the last 10 years, the most committed Minister for Women that we had. And the Women's Economic, um, Economic Security Statement was her sort of signature attempt at focusing the government's mind on the policies that were required to create economic security for women. Mm -hmm. um, and it was never sort of fully funded to the extent that it would need to be if you were going to genuinely pursue gender equality because the types of changes that are required to make financial security a reality rather than a far-fetched fantasy for older women, which is unfortunately what it is right now, requires wholesale reform. You cannot tinker around the edges with $240 million, for example, in a multi-hundreds of billions of dollar budget and expect a meaningful change. So it is ultimately, I mean, a press release is probably a little bit insulting, but to be honest, this statement is pretty much a press release. Um, it does, it has five very, very critical objectives listed, um, mm. including things like ensuring women's safety at work and at home, things like in, in ensuring um, greater workforce participation of women, increase women in leadership, support jobs, reduce the pay gap. 
all of these goals are incredibly important and would go a huge way, not just to assisting individual women achieve financial security, but also in actually stimulating our economy. Um, because all of the measures where if you invest effectively, you get a great return. And what is, you know, I mean, I, I was shocked last night that, that the, given the scale of this budget, I was shocked that the figure attributed to specific policies targeted at women was $240 million. I was, I was astonished and I was even more astonished that given that fact, the Treasurer chose to highlight that in his speech. And yeah. I think, Shivani, you're absolutely right when you say it was purely for the headline and let's hope no one looks beneath the surface. And another thing I want to say, and I think, you know, you were very compelling on this, Shivani, is, you know, it's important to look at impact. We know that if a government is serious about increasing um, women's workforce participation or is serious about job creation that will benefit women, the most effective investment it can make is in overhauling early education and care. You can create jobs for an industry that is dominated by women. Mm. You enable more women to participate in more work. And just as a bonus, guess what? You set children up for the best possible life. You get improved health outcomes, improved economic outcomes over the course of their lives, improved educational outcomes. It is a win-win-win. And there is no new money for this important policy. Again, we have the headline figure that Josh Frydenberg has said and Scott Morrison, a record $9 billion is being spent on the childcare subsidy this financial year. That is more than the $8.3 billion that was spent last financial year, but the increase is literally a function of inflation and population growth. There is no new money. And what I would say to the Treasurer is that in a budget of this size, when you had analysis three months ago that showed an additional $5 billion on increasing the subsidy would lead to $12 billion in benefits to the bottom line in the year. And that wasn't looked at. Instead, the model that we know does not deliver for families because families still pay some of the highest out-of-pocket childcare fees in the world. We know that because the fees are so high, Australia has a really strangely low female workforce participation rate. We know that early educators are among the lowest paid workers in Australia. We know there is incredible turnover in that industry, which affects quality. And there is incredible turnover because there is so little security, there is so little pay. All of these issues could be fixed. There is nothing in this budget that fixes it. It is just throwing more money at a policy that isn't working. And I would say the government has spent more and more and more on subsidies the last 10 years and yet it has not made a difference to either what educators earn or what families have to spend to have the care for their children and I just think it is a spectacular oversight mm. and my last remark will be that I have been surprised today that I've heard from a number of people from the government including the Prime Minister's office that they are incredibly disappointed with the view that this budget does not deliver for women. <laughs> the line I was told was that this budget is not gendered. I've just had a very civil message from um, Senator Jane Hume just before I jumped on this call saying that she respects my opinion and, and, and admires my work, but believes that I'm misguided in saying that this government doesn't deliver for women. She said it is a budget for all Australians. And I would say, as I said to the individual I spoke to in the Prime Minister's office today, it is farcical to pretend 
that this budget impacts men and women in exactly the same way. It doesn't. The only targeted money for women in this budget of over $500 billion is $240 million. And I'm afraid that if you make that decision, you cannot be surprised when a whole lot of economists and business leaders and politicians and women like us are going to call you out and say, actually, do you know what? This is a drop in the ocean at a point in time where women need more than ever before on account of suffering the disproportionate burden of adverse consequences out of this pandemic. Yes, um, I agree. I'm a little bit harsher because I sense, I know that the headline figure is there, but I do under, yeah, I'm like, what did they expect would be the reaction? We're not stupid. We know what $240 million is. We know how to easily compare it to other measures that are there in the budget. Like as um, I think it was Daniel Wood from the Grattan Institute did where she said, you know, more is going to be sent on recycling, spent on recycling than uh, on on this this. On, on I will say this, that was, and I'm only saying this because credit where it's due, that was per capita, and they did some terrific tweeting last night highlighting exactly that, that $250 million was going on recycling compared yeah. to $240 million for women. Okay, okay. And they're surprised so that we're disappointed. Yes, exactly. And then, you know, we also, I always like to, and I've tweeted this last night as well, I like to compare it to the school chaplaincy program, which a couple of years ago received about 250 million in funding over a number of years. And I think that may have even got an additional funding last night. So, you know, we've got the school chaplain's participation, but when it comes to women's workforce participation, you don't get much. So I look at that and I think it's almost like ideological in a way. It's like, this intentional desire to make sure that, first of all, we couldn't possibly have a women's budget statement. We couldn't possibly do that kind of gendered analysis because how would that look? We can't do that. And also, also other measures sorry. as well, like, um, you know, I was having a conversation with a, a not-for-profit CEO earlier and she said, you know, there actually is some funding there for, for some foreign aid in the Pacific that's actually um, welcome and, and is quite good. But the way that they're packaging is in terms of the language is they don't want to be seen to be doing this kind of beneficial work or this help that's there because how would that look when so much is spending is occurring in Australia? So I just wonder if we're being trolled. <laughs> that's I, I, I honestly, I thought, um, I, I, I am genuinely astonished that that's their take, that they are so, um, you know, I was told that only no one with credibility is questioning that this budget delivers for women. No one with credibility is questioning this mm. budget. Are you serious? Yeah, that, that, that is. Yeah, no, I'm, that is that was an exact quote that I was told. <laughs> that no one with credibility is making that case. And oh God. okay, well, yeah. okay. <laughs> I've just had I've just had the um, the doorbell ring, so I have to go. Okay, thank you so much, Georgie. Um, Sorry. Enjoy your afternoon. Coming. Go and get the message thank you, first. Guys. Let's go and, do it go again. and act credible, Georgie. <laughs> I know. Bye. All right. So, Shivani, um, so much there. I mean, there's more for us to talk, but I guess um, any first thoughts that you have from what Georgie was saying? Because I think we did cut you off for a moment there. I love that Georgie's Zoom is still open and we're just seeing various things and kids wandering around. So, I might close it for her because I, I, I think I'm seeing her calendar. This is really interesting. We can take it. <laughs> We can take a deep dive, a month in the life of um, yeah, a credible Dent. woman like Georgie Dent. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a credible, very credible woman. Um, look, that's that, that, that's really interesting, and I, I think that what's 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 really sad about this, right? Um, you know, Georgie's comments around the amount of phone calls she's getting and comments that she's getting around, you know, 
around the disappointment that this is a budget for all Australians. Look, if you're going to do something again, I, it always comes back down to intent and outcome, right? Um, and, and, and truly, you're never going to get it right unless you consult the very people that you want this budget to impact and benefit. And so if you want, and, and I've been, you know, putting my hands up um, for a very long time saying I am open for consultation, um, given the amount of professional women that the remarkable woman work with. I mean, obviously, Angela, you're, you're quite similar, the amount of professional women that Women's Agenda, um, you know, speak to on, on a daily basis as well. And, and given that representation, I think consultation on these matters is so incredibly important yeah and there's and there's certainly not enough action where it matters um and and especially around you know the the child care issues that you know of course georgie is just has just highlighted yeah i can hear some um seven-year-olds um playing quite vocally downstairs at the moment as it happens um i wanted to make one final point and just get your take on this as well it was just my initial thoughts um, and you know you and i both employ people so we are seeing it from a different perspective and I do see a benefit, I guess, of, um, I like that idea. I do want more in this budget. I always wanted more in this budget for young people because as we know, young people are taking on so much of the debt that, that, will, that we're generating right now. And young people obviously have sacrificed so much in terms of COVID and in terms of trying to support often older people as well. And so then I look at this and I think, okay, interesting initiative that we're trying to intentionally get people you know, offer that supplement for employers who do employ people within this age group, as long as they're on, I can't remember the various things, but as long as they're on jobs, there's a few different caveats of things they had to be currently receiving. Job seeker and at least 20 hours per week in terms of uh, hours for work. Okay. Okay. So good. One thought is like, probably mean that a lot of employers are unlikely to hire them full time because why wouldn't you go and hire two part-times on 21, 21 hours each at that point? And then what happens to the 36 year old woman who does not qualify for that by you know a matter of months and might be in that position of you know desperately trying to get off job seeker maybe she's had a break in her career or something else but it feels like there's this whole segment again and i think if they'd done some kind of gender analysis on this this would have come out as quite obvious as what would occur that really misses out there um and that's what's really interesting around um the paradox between what is being said and what's being done um and and the the gap between the two because women's workforce participation from a full-time to part-time basis really starts to drop off post 30 and especially post 35 that's where you really see a big gap between the amount of working men and working women in the australian workforce um and and given that there were no childcare measures put in the budget and given that there is no support from a job maker perspective for people over 35, then again, you can see that women have been doubly hit in that way. Um, because as an employer, you're very right. Why not just go and hire two people? Um, and, and so effectively, you know, um, you know, the, the average, you know, working week is what, um, you know, 38.5 hours or something like that. So for two people, you're getting your 40 hours because you must employ them for at least 20 hours each. Um, and at the same time, you know, depending on their age, you're either going to get 200 bucks a week or $100 a week. Um, and so from an employer perspective, and of course, I, I'm not saying this to, you know, to pour salt on employers at all, because they're, they're all doing it tough as well, right? They're going to try to do what's economically appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time, yes, it does mean that these women who are over 35 are absolutely going to miss out. Um, and, and, and again, what that's going to do is exacerbate that workforce participation gap even more. 
Mm, yes, absolutely. Okay, well, I think we'll leave it there as our top line budget analysis, a very scrappily put together podcast that we've done on the fly within a couple of minutes and we managed to do it over Zoom. The question now is whether I can manage to edit into something transferable to be uploaded as a podcast. Let's hope so. Thank you so much, Shivani, and thank you, Georgie, who had to leave a little earlier. We will talk again soon. Shivani and I have also recorded an episode looking at why there are so few female CEOs on the ASX 200, and that was going to come out today, but we might go with this budget analysis. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. If this episode did raise any issues for you, or if you or someone you know needs any assistance, I just wanted to share some key helplines for you. The first one being Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. The next one is Lifeline on 13 11 14. And another one is Kids Helpline on 1800 551 800. You can also check out all of their websites. Now, a reminder once again that the stories that we do cover on Women's Agenda you can find in some form on our website where you can also go and subscribe to our daily free newsletter that comes out just before lunchtime. The Women's Agenda podcast is produced by Agenda Media and you can also go and check out our new and second podcast called The Leadership Lessons. It's hosted by Kate Mills and it goes into some really deep and interesting territory examining how to lead for the critical decade ahead by speaking with uh, key female leaders. Go and check it out. Thank you for listening.